There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Truth and Movies is brought to you by Adobe. To celebrate Adobe Stock's five-year anniversary, Adobe has announced the launch of Adobe Stock Audio, an integration between Adobe Stock and Adobe Premiere Pro that will enable creatives to access over 30,000 unwatermarked audio tracks directly in their Premiere Pro workflow. For more information, check the article at eldrealize.com. Hello there, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader here, recording remotely, recording actually on holiday in a cottage, so I hope this doesn't sound too strange. Uh, but thankfully, I have a returning Little White Lies stalwart, not heard from you in ages, Hannah Woodhead. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm not on holiday in a cottage. I wish I was. I'm in my bedroom in London. But but it, it's been such a long time. How have you been holding together? You've been watching films. I think last time when we spoke, neither of us had watched any films in a while, but are you back on the habit? Yeah, um... I, I I've not I still not watched a lot of films. Um, I'm about to start a, a um, super secret Little White Lies project, which is going to take up um, about the next six months of my life. So um, my film viewing is probably going to go down considerably again. But um, I um, I'm trying I'm trying to I think I've mainly been watching kind of things I've seen before, little kind of comfort blanket movies. I've watched the Jackass films about ten times. Um, and I watched um, one, I mean, I guess the biggest first time watch for me is Showgirls, which I finally watched and adored. I, a brilliant film. I uh, One of those ones where you think, oh, I can't believe I've never seen this before. It was great. So, um, I, yeah, I just saw it. It was on Amazon and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll give that a go. So uh, enjoy, enjoyed Showgirls and I watched uh, the film Waitress, enjoyed that film a lot as well. So had had some good ones. Oh, great viewing all around. Yeah. I mean, Listeners will remember that, that David and I were very deep in the samurai canon um, for the last episode. And we had some great listener feedback on that. Uh, I just want to read out an, a wonderful email we got all the way from Australia. Let me pull up this email here from Trevor Q, a Canadian living in Tokyo. Uh, he said, despite my many years here in Japan, much of my time has been spent reading, learning the language, working, etc. But I've really been pushing hard to expand my her- Japanese film horizons beyond the usual Kurosawa and Ghibli films in the past few years. Um, but uh, Trevor had some really great recommendations. If he wanted to go deeper into samurai films, a particular favourite area of his, and he's a huge history buff too. So he recommended After the Rain which is actually um, a film written by Kurosawa but directed by Takashi Koizumi after Kurosawa's death. 
Um, Trevor says it's a beautifully shot and the peasants are particularly lively in the inn where they hole up during the endless rains. The relationship between the main Ronan character and his wife is fascinating as well as she appears quite meek and subservient but actually exerts quite a tender pull on him as he tries to make the best of a tough world and she sees what's coming. Also he recommended Something Like an Autobiography which isn't a film, it's Kurosawa's Something Like an Autobiography and according to Trevor it's a stunning read about his early childhood and his coming of age and it ends after Rashomon when he says that a man's films tell you much more than the man and his words ever can. So it sort of ends saying, go and watch the films for the rest of the story. Um, Trevor says, Kurosawa is a beautiful writer with such vivid visual memories of his younger years, which encompassed the Great Kanto Earthquake of 1923, kendo training at temples as a child, and the bombed ruins of Tokyo after the Second World War. And the final recommendation from Trevor wasn't a film or a book. It was actually a fantastic extended trailer spoof for Satoichi vs. Predator, directed by Junya Akabe, shot like a 60s, 70s film. Uh, he says it's one of the funniest things he's seen in a while, and he's not usually a fan of such things, uh, since Japanese humour can sometimes be a bit of an acquired taste. So lots of recommendations there um, to go away if you wanted to go a little bit deeper into the world of samurai. We also had a recommendation um, from Josh Slater-Williams, sometimes Little White Lies contributor for Shinya Sukamoto's Killing. Some listeners might know Shinya Sukamoto for his film Tetsuo the Iron Man. Of course, he's still kicking it and apparently that film from 2018 is really good. I think it's just come out on Blu-ray from Third Window here in the UK. Worth a look, according to Josh. Thanks for those uh, messages, listeners. This week, actually, it's been a while. We've had the dad pods. We've had the future of cinema after lockdown finishes. We've had Hannah, our chat about how we were struggling to keep up with our cinema viewing during lockdown. This is going to be our first episode of the podcast reviewing new releases in months. I mean, that's momentous occasion in its own right, isn't it? Yeah, um, it feels very strange. I feel like I've forgotten how to um, watch a film with a critical eye instead of just kind of slumped uh, in my bed, like staring at the screen. So can we still do our jobs? Welcome to the podcast where we find out. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, during lockdown, we've been able to enjoy the full breadth of cinema in all of its glories we couldn't be as eclectic as we want to and weirdly we come back on a week where the two films we're reviewing are both lesbian romances from first-time female filmmakers set in coastal british towns (laughs) you know you know what they say you wait all this time for one lesbian coastal british drama by a first-time director and then two come along once it's just it's just a luck of the draw i guess isn't it (laughs) So this is Summerland, starring Gemma Arterton and Makeup, which is the first film from a new, young, exciting filmmaker called Claire Oakley. We're going to start with Summerland. We don't have the drums. Uh, The drummer is still under lockdown, hasn't been able to get to his drum kit. So this is going to maybe feel a little bit looser than usual. I'm still going to read a bit of a synopsis before we dive in. So strap in. Summerland follows the story of the fiercely independent folklore investigator, Alice. Gemma Arterton, who secludes herself in her clifftop study, debunking myths using science to disprove the existence of magic. Consumed by her work, but also profoundly lonely, she is haunted by a love affair from her past. When the spirited young Frank, an evacuee from the London Blitz, is dumped into her irritable care, his innocence and curiosity awaken Alice's deeply buried emotions. Bravely embracing life's miraculous unpredictability, Alice learns that wounds may be healed, second chances do occur, and that, just perhaps, magic really does exist. 
Now, Hannah, I think that synopsis captures a little bit of the sort of chocolate box tone of this film. Do you think that's right about right? Yeah, um, it's very sort of uh, nice and cosy, um, very like, you know, how how I imagine if you were um, an American uh, trying to imagine what a British film would look like. This is, I think, what what you would kind of um, go to. It's very, uh, lots of kind of received pronunciation and, uh, oh, golly. And, uh, you know, that kind of, um, we, we seem to be very obsessed with like the blitz spirit in, in the UK, both in our culture and currently it's very like um, a lot of talk about it. <laughs> so it, do, it does feel like a film that um, is kind of designed for the um, the, the silver pound, shall we say. Um, very like safe and nice and uh, lovey-dovey kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said um, after I'd watched it, it reminded me a lot of Goodnight Mr. Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I love Gun Like Mr. Tom. I remember absolutely bawling when I watched the um, the version of that on uh, ITV as a child. I was completely bereft by that. So it's not, it's not uh, I don't mean it as a, in a disparaging way. I think it's just a very, like, very uniquely British sort of film. I, I, I think I would say this is, in terms of film references, trying to be a little bit more like a softer focus take on what Todd Haynes did in Far From Heaven and Carol in the way that he adopted the melodramatic moves of 1950s women's pictures. We've discussed this on the podcast in the past, but with modern sensibilities queering the eye slightly in terms of the relationships, in terms of the experiences we're exploring. And that is at the heart of this. It is interesting. You mentioned how this is precision tooled for the grey pound with scenes where you have Gemma Arterton and Gugu and Bertha Raw rolling around in Heather, very much having a full-blown lesbian romance here. But it's not half as edgy, maybe, as that premise would suggest, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's, um, I mean it, it, it's presenting us with a um, lesbian couple, not only a lesbian couple, a mixed-race lesbian couple in the... Uh, I guess it would have been the thirties when, or the thirties when they uh, when they meet each other, and it's um, it's just I, I really I, I guess I kind of struggled with the um, nicey nicey tone of it of, of the, the the relationship that the, their whole kind of um, uh, what's the word the the, the tension between them uh, is that um, one of them would like to have a family and the other one is kind of not into it and I was like well I just I I don't know I I um I struggled with that being the kind of biggest <laughs> the biggest issue facing an, an, an interracial lesbian couple in the 30s <laughs> um I, I mean I'm sure it, it was an issue um but yeah I, I don't know it, it, tonally a very a very um odd film and then you have this kind of folklore element to it where um Gemma Arton's character is a historian of sorts and she investigates um ph- phenomena I guess um and in particular, she's looking for this thing, this um, island called Summerland, which appears in um, uh, pagan folklore. And um, this is why she's on the, the coast near Ramsgate. And it's kind of <laughs> combining this, you know, this search for this mythical island with the backdrop of the Second World War and the lesbian romance. It's just like a game of kind of mad libs. 
um, where there's just there's just a lot of a lot of things happening in this film and a lot of kind of storylines going on. You know, the the, the 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 town's children think she's a witch. They think Jeremy Martin's a witch. There's a there's a very sprightly kind of little girl who lives with her great aunt, I think, and there's some kind of story going on there. Tom Courtney's there, just kind of like politely like waffling on, and I, I just yeah, it's it does it does sort of feel like they've kind of thrown everything into this big mixing bowl and decided and uh, tried to see what what comes out. It very much plays to me like it's adapted from a novel because you have almost multiple frame plot lines. You have these early scenes where you have you know, absolute national treasure, Penelope Wilton, playing uh, the, the, the older Alice in the 1970s, I imagine, trying to do, run the numbers on the ages. Then Gemma <laughs> Arthur in, in during the war years and Gemma Arthur during her student years or her, her earlier adult years. Plus, as you say, huge topics and themes here that could be discussed. You didn't even mention the fact that we have possibly the most conventional aspect of the film, which is the cold-hearted spinster or the cold-hearted bachelor or whatever you would say from you know m- many films of this type over the years, having their heart melted by that yes. one kid. That one <laughs> kid that comes into their life. You know, literally when, when um, he's presented on her doorstep, she just says no and slams the door. <laughs> but slowly he wheedles her way in his way into her heart and shows her that there is another way to live life yeah which is not something i, I not not one of my favorite tropes shall we say um i mean i i just yeah maybe it's because i don't like children very much uh you've just not <laughs> I, met the one kid i've not met the one kid i am the i'm the cold-hearted spinster they're gonna make a film about be sit, sitting here in my bedroom trying to write my film reviews and this they'll knock at the door and this is little cockney urchin come to melt my heart and show me mm-hmm. the the way to summerland <laughs> but i suppose the real task of a film like this is just balancing not only all these themes this character arc you have when we first meet Gemma Arterton's character she has great fun being this bitter um you know witch of the village living on her own there's a a really great scene early on she really relishes and it's cut very well too when she's in the local corner convenience store with her ration getting her rations and there's a young girl who unfortunately can't get that bar of chocolate because they don't have enough ration stamps that week and she goes up to the till and says i'll have one of those and just as the girl's face is brightening and the mum is saying, oh, thank you so much. Gem- you know, Alice, Gemma Alton's character, grabs the chocolate, runs straight out the door, lights up a cigarette, t- cigarette and takes a massive bite out of it, grinning. I, that was the that was a great scene, yes. And um, I, I mean, I, I was fully, fully with uh, Alice because I thought the child was being very presumptuous. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's not without its... Um, it's moments, and I, I I will say that little Frank is uh, a very 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 cute little kid. Very, um, he's obsessed with chips. He's always wanting chips for dinner. Um, and the scene where he finds out there's a, there's a, something that happens kind of midway through, um, and he discovers this 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 giant secret, and it, and it's very it was very touching. It's very sad. You felt you really felt for uh, little Frank. <laughs> can't take it. I can't. Take it. <laughs> You know, because you just don't meet many little Franks now. It's you know, it's just I. It's very hard for me to talk about a child called Frank. It just doesn't. It, something in there isn't sitting right for me. Um, but yeah, I, I just it's 
like you say, it does kind of feel like it's been adapted from a novel because there's this, this kind of jumping around and two separate timelines, well, three separate timelines technically. Um, and and I was really surprised to learn it is it's an original screenplay which has been around since the uh, since about 2012. It won, I think, it won a prize in 2012. Um, but yeah, I just it's such a kind of um, Sunday afternoon BBC Two film. You know, mm-hmm. it's there's nothing really um, nothing really meaty there to get you get your uh, get your teeth into with it yeah it's balancing again an, another balancing act to introduce into this <laughs> real you know, real pain real tragedy and real issues as you say you know having a lesbian romance in this period of time whilst also being a relatively soft entertaining sunday afternoon fair and how well does it balance that and maybe in this film for me personally it is tipping over a bit too much into being sentimental how can something mm. be somehow tasteful yet insipid you know, at, the, at the same time <laughs> uh, it's 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 very well mounted as as some industry press would say it's laurie rose cinematographer of course cut his teeth working with ben wheatley on films that are <laughs> nowhere near like this but has maybe moved a little bit more into prestige productions after he shot um stan and ollie a couple of years ago didn't he and he, he makes the the sort of kent coast or wherever they are shooting this that's standing in for the kent coast look particularly yeah. idyllic almost like they are living in a summer land of their own um a, 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 of their own design but we should talk about Gemma Arterton, since this is so built around her. Gugu and Bathara has been it is in the trailer quite a lot, but she's very much a figure of the past, or she's a supporting part. It's really Gemma's film. I can't remember if you were on the episode where we talked about The Escape, which was the last time she had a new release out that we discussed on the podcast, but how does Gemma Arterton um, play for you in this film, Hannah? Yeah, I mean, she, she's, a, she's a strange one, isn't she? Because I feel like... She's made um, her carved this niche for herself playing historical lesbians. Now she was in um, Vita and Virginia, um, and it's uh, this role does seem to be kind of she. She seems to be having a little bit more fun. It reminds me of uh, the film Tamara Drew, um, which from way way back mid 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 kind of noughties, I guess. But I I actually quite enjoyed that film. I think it's. very similar like English country garden vibes to this um the whole thing kind of hinges on whether or not you believe that a single child has the power to melt the heart of <laughs> of um someone who's clearly you know been 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 through the ringer and kind of closed himself off to the world and I don't I don't really like this trope of um women in particular kind of all they all you know if uh, you open your heart to the child, then you know you'll find that you were a natural mother all along. I think it's a bit, it's you know, it's it feels to me a bit, um, what's the word, heteronormative. And you know, I, I guess that I guess they're kind of trying to show that you know, family can come in kind of lots of forms, and it, it's not necessarily about who 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 your actual parents are. It's kind of you know who who looks after you when you need it. But I yeah, I mean I'm. I just I, I think I would like more films where um, people are, are allowed to be childish. Uh, childish. I would like more films where people are allowed to be childless and it not be a huge kind of 
failing in their character. I feel like men are allowed to be childless and it not be a thing. So why are women, why is it always like a huge part of a woman's emotional journey that she doesn't have a child or that she doesn't want a child? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm basically destroying the whole premise of the film. I'm like, there shouldn't have been a child. That was the thing I really had an issue with. <laughs> so it, let's say, Hannah, if this was an evacuated dog from the London of the Second World War and that's what warmed <laughs> Alice's heart, you'd be fully on board, I'm sure. I mean, that's basically what's happened to me because uh, during lockdown, I, I have got, a, I was say, acquired a dog. <laughs> I, I adopted a dog and um, she has warmed my cold, dead heart. So I think, yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> I just need to look at her and think, oh, well, yeah, if it was Marty, then I'd understand. <laughs> like, you're, you're quite right. <laughs> this is the first time in months I've said this, but what scores would you put on this film? So thinking way back, this would be in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect. It's been so long since I've heard those words. Um, I, I, I guess it's, it's probably a three, three, two. It's... It's a very inoffensive film. It's very kind of um, not a. Uh, it's not going to ruffle any feathers. I think, shall we say? Um, which seems to be. Uh, Gemma Arton's had a kind of fascinating career where I feel like at one stage she was really the hot new thing, and she was in um, uh, Centrinians, and you know she was kind of touted, I think, as the next great British uh, export, but then. There's so many of them, you know, there's, there's the, the Saoirse Ronans and the Florence Pews of the world. And it does feel like she's kind of fallen a bit more into these sort of um, B-lister type roles, I guess, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but yeah, um, I, I three for enjoyment. Um, it's not really something that I would be in any... Um, hurry to watch again and two in retrospect it's not it's not grown on me any so certainly talking about it hasn't made me uh, like it anymore so i feel really bad dissing a film for the first time in months we've done this and i'm like yeah it was terrible i hate it i hate cinema you said showgirls is very good up top don't worry um <laughs> i'd probably say i don't want to seem like i'm being so negative here i'd say this is a three two two it's just not something to my taste maybe if you're a fan of your i don't know bookshop the, the, the bookshop or the your potato peel pie society type films this might be right up your street i think Gemma Arterton is such a uniquely sort of engaging on-screen presence that i like her even in the films that aren't my jam but it's similar in, in vein as well of in a similar vein as well to their finest that she was in a few years ago although my favorite films are those posey simmons adaptations she was in tamara drew and Gemma bovary almost back to back almost playing very similar characters um it, you're talking about Gemma Arterton's career. I, I literally was in Hastings just earlier today. The setting of, I think, her, her undisputed gem, Byzantium, which has also Saoirse Ronan in. That is yes. an absolute full-bore gothic melodrama. With- if, you ever, uh, if you ever go up to um, God's Own Junkyard in Walthamstow, they have uh, one of the big neon signs from the film. <laughs> <laughs> and a sign saying as featured in Byzantium yeah. wow. okay. I, 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 mean, I, I just thought it was great I was like I hadn't thought about that film in since release until I went to uh, God's End Junkyard and I was like oh yeah Byzantium good movie well, maybe one <laughs> ripe for rediscovery but Summerland in the end for me even when I was being drawn you know 
you know, very gently taken along by its drama. It has a very contrived third act. I'm just going to say mm. that. And and even I think even fans of that sort of film may find that a struggle. The way that we said that the plot has many things stacked on top of it all, and the way it all wraps up in the end may be a little bit contrived uh, mm. for my liking. But that's Summerland. Um, out this weekend we're sticking with the coast but we're going from the southeast to the southwest all the way to cornwall for makeup life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com wow nice yeah what you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Teenager Ruth travels to a seaside holiday park to stay with her boyfriend, Tom. One afternoon, while giving Tom's caravan a spring clean, Ruth finds evidence that her beau might be cheating on her. As her desire to uncover the truth turns into an obsession, she begins to realise she might be looking for something else entirely, transforming her remote coastal setting into an intangible labyrinth of creeping intrigue. Claire Oakley inventively flirts with genre conventions to weave a singular tale of self-acceptance and sexual awakening. So, Hannah, this is similar setting, coastal Britain, very similar themes in some ways, but already from the synopsis, a very different film, right? Yeah, yeah, very different film. Uh, much kind of darker, creepier. Um, we've gone from sort of the seaside town to a caravan park. I spent the, every sort of summer half-term holiday from being about 3 to 17 on a caravan park in Scarborough. So um, very traumatic for me to revisit that. <laughs> um, I think they are. I think I think caravan parks are creepy. I think they're they're a creepy place, and there's something very very British about them. I think we were having a piece on Little White Lies Go Live actually, or it might already be live, about the unique British phenomenon of uh, caravans in coming of age films. So. I'm I I I'm up for it, you know. I'm I'm here for it. It feels like representation. Um, so <laughs> I was quite uh, quite intrigued, and and of course this is the off season caravan park, the creepiest caravan park of all. Because um, there's there's nothing stranger to me than places that should be full and busy and like you know bustling with life that are empty. And of course we've seen a lot of this recently. Um, during lockdown, places that we're used to seeing being kind of full of life when they're completely empty, it's just spooky. Like airports, when you're at an airport and it's empty, or when you're at a train station and it's empty, the, stuff like that freaks me out. So, um, yeah, I, it's 
I think a great untapped setting for creepiness. And I really think, just off the bat, I think Claire Oakley has such a mastery of that atmosphere and tone, the dread almost from the off, the way that what's really great about the way this film shoots the caravan park is that it's individual spots of light so mm. once you're outside of the very artificial light of street lamps or lamps outside of the, the the caravans themselves it's just darkness so it's very oppressive even though you're out in one of the most open areas in the country also the way that she incorporates we're going to drop the name david lynch at some point i'm sure but in a very lynchian way sound effects and lighting cues in ways that really are unnerving maybe in like an amusement arcade both being turned on and bursting to life with all this garish light and then maybe being turned off and plunging you into darkness in an abandoned building the sounds the the, the there's a point where you, you can hear foxes outside and of course everyone who's heard any foxes knows that the, the sound of a fox even when they're happy is very very disturbing it uses that really well as well as some of the outsized characters you might meet in these places there's a character early on who has a very drawn out cackle of a laugh or a droning laugh that's almost drawn out uh, in, in, into uh, being a, a sound effect in its own right so i think that claire oakley already has such a great vision for creating this consummate atmospheric experience in the film it's just i suppose whether there's there's content around the atmosphere to build. What do you think, Hannah? Yeah, I um, I think it, whilst it is a kind of plum setting for uh, some some spookiness and creepiness to unwind, I think it's it's a very kind of it's one of those things where not very much happens. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm sure within the the characters' worlds, these are huge seismic events, but as a viewer, there's not. A great deal going on. It's kind of um, Ruth uh, going from kind of one sort of place to another. Um, internal. She's not. She 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 is a, a woman of few words, Ruth. And mm-hmm. um, so it's a lot kind of about her watching and witnessing and um, uh, internalizing than um, actual conversations that are had and. Um, Sometimes it's it's very effective. I think there's a great there's a great scene where um, they're looking for a missing um, resident of the of the caravan park, which is really genuinely quite terrifying. And you are sort of like holding your breath, waiting for something awful to happen. Um, but because Ruth is such a kind of like unknowable um, character, it I I found it quite hard to really get get on board with her she is not um easy to kind of understand i think that sequence has one of the best scene single scenes i think of the whole film when she goes into one of the caravans that's being fumigated because of the off season and they're cleaning them and so she's popping through these sheets of of plastic that that, that are encasing the um the caravan is really so inventive in the way it uses the space. I think Claire Oakley, a family member, manages a, a, a caravan park. I think so. There's like at least a, a personal connection to that world, and you really feel that it's leeching into this. This is like as far as you can get from sort of the kitchen sink British social realism tradition, but you can really see that it's rooted in its locality and, and the specificity of the experience, and it comes through. But then I suppose yeah, the story of of Ruth, the character, turns into a sort of psychosexual journey of identity, both 
projecting this onto other characters, but also there's really a nightmare within that's happening for her. And that's where things get a little more, bit more abstract, a little bit more lynchy, and I'll mention that name again, <laughs> because it's all about the, the multiple identities and how the mundanity of these everyday locations can suddenly turn into something more nightmarish. This film was originally conceived of as a shorter piece and has been drawn out into an 80-odd minute film and I suppose a big question is whether it warrants that or would have been better as a more abstract, shorter piece. Yeah, I think that there is a growing phenomenon of this, isn't there? There's a lot of very successful short films um, which work wonderfully as shorts, but then when they're made into features, it doesn't quite sustain itself. Um, and I think this is maybe one of those instances for me because I think whilst you know the tone and the atmosphere is all really really good as we've said, we've said um, the 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 actual kind of plot of it and the meat of it is very thin on the ground and I think particularly the ending is just incredibly unsatisfying. Okay. Um, knowing kind of having spent time with these characters and kind of in this like quite it's quite a rough world they live in it's quite unpleasant at times especially the male characters are quite harsh and quite violent and the ending for me was just a bit a, a bit too um neat i guess it, it i mean maybe maybe it's meant to be like a kind of fantasy uh, mm. But if it, if it was, I, 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 it was lost on me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's. It feels like there were some great moments, great scenes within the film. But the way that they get that they're not really joined up in a kind of um, satisfying way. And when it's a short film, it doesn't matter so much if you've just got like three great scenes because that's all you need. But when you're making a ninety-minute film, you kind of need to be able to uh, thread all these set piece moments together in in a convincing and engaging way and i there's a lot of time where ruth is just kind of wandering around the caravan park or mm. uh sitting in the caravan and it's kind of like dead dead air time for me um which is a shame because i think you know there are some really like really mesmerizing moments there's a great scene where um Ruth goes to get, um, she's given a, a manicure by a um, another resident in the caravan park and she's taking off the uh, acrylic nails in the sink and it is very kind of um, black swan, the, this moment where she stood pulling off these blood red acrylic nails and it's really sort of like anything with nails I think is in, in, intrinsically a bit, a bit, you know, it kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies, and it's, it's a very, uh, very effective, very kind of visceral uh, moment in the film. But it does just kind of feel like there's a lot of very good singular ideas that don't mm. necessarily um, warrant a whole kind of ninety-minute film. It's a very, it's, it's quite elusive at times. This film, but. I don't want to spoil the film, but I would recommend reading interviews with, with Claire Oakley about the film. I don't know if you have, Hannah. I haven't, no. So There's particularly one with Rebecca Nicholson at The um, the Guardian where she says that the story is very personal to her and the development that she went through not only is through making the film, through devising, writing the original screenplay at a screenwriter's lab and making the film 
created a fundamental change in her life. And in a way, I almost now want to flash forward 30 years and to steal a Joanna Hogg reference. I want to see the souvenir version of her making this film semi-fictionalised and seeing her <laughs> life change. Um, but let, let's that, that, that's by the by. Listeners, uh, let us know what you think if you, if you do read the interview and see the film and see which version you'd rather see. Um, Hannah, what scores would you, would you give Makeup? Um, I think it's maybe a four in anticipation. I was quite up for it. I'm always up for a new, a new, a good new British debut. Uh, I think we've had some really kind of strong contenders um, recently, and I am always up for the next, you know, the next Joanna Hogg, the next Lynn Ramsey. And I do think this has some of the kind of you, you will see probably in the reviews that come out a lot of like Andrew Arnold references, a lot of kind of fish tank references. Um, I do feel kind of that Claire Oakley will um, go on and do... I, I mean, I hope... I know how hard it is to get a film made, especially as a female director. I hope she goes on to kind of do bigger projects because I think uh, she's definitely got something. She's got a really good eye. Um, but yeah, maybe... maybe. I mean, I, I, I think because I gave Summerland such a bashing, we'll, we'll give it a four because I do think it shows a lot. I, I'm giving it a four based on the, pr- the sort of... Um, the the promise i think it shows um and the kind of faith i have um and then maybe a three in uh retrospect i just think it is it's too loose for me i think i i'll be, be a bit more positive on this film i think it's probably four three four four in anticipation because yeah we're having this moment right now where there is a new generation of filmmakers coming through the uk industry system and particularly young female filmmakers who are maybe genre adjacent and there's a lot of uh, column inches being given over to them and money being given to them by BFI, BBC Film 4 to create the next generation of Lynn Ramsey's, Andrew Arnold's, Joanna Hogg's. However, yeah, it may be a little bit abstract for me and didn't really give me exactly what I wanted out of a film like this in, in the actual running time. However, the talent is undeniable and I can't wait to see her next feature Clerically's next feature why, why a four in retrospect as well and I think it is learning the personal story behind this and seeing just how this sort of cold and um, distancing you know distancing type films you know was actually is coming from a very personal place so that's makeup probably the one we'd recommend out of the two this week although don't watch it with your mum uh, maybe <laughs> Summerland is definitely in the sort of great great aunt Sunday afternoon uh, category, whereas makeup something a bit more late night. Yeah, say so. yeah, I'd say so. But listeners, let us know what you think of both those films. If you see them, at the usual channels at Truth and Movies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at tcolondon dot com via email, and there's this and there's the comment page at lwlies dot com slash podcast and also let us know what you've been watching during lockdown and whether you're starting to watch new releases now that the cinemas are opening or if you're streaming them or however you're getting them we'd love to know hannah any other business before we go we should probably shout about the new issue that has come out in the last couple of weeks maybe a very quick roundup of Um, what that is it's a special issue isn't it it is yeah so uh because of um the cinema schedule has kind of been all over the place we decided to do something a little bit different um and it's a uh, issue dedicated to food and film. So we thought about the one thing everyone has been doing more of during lockdown, and that's eating, and uh, base this whole issue around it. I think that food and film is such a kind of rich, um, 
meeting point. There's so many great food, uh, great films about food, but also great food moments in films that are otherwise not about food. Um, so yeah, we we really, I'm very proud of this issue. I think it to say it was made under such. Um, what's the word uh, dark circumstances it, i think we really came out with something great it's it's uh full of lots of like nice anecdotes nice memories from um famous people uh famous filmmakers and um i spoke to barry jenkins and lulu wang for our kind of love lead interview which was really nice uh, lots of like little juicy tidbits about um, Moonlight and The Farewell, but also about their relationship, which were really kind of, it was really lovely to get that kind of insight and that more personal side of things. And then, yeah, a really sort of chocker feature section with uh, all the all the usual suspects. And yeah, I'm, I, I, I say I'm really happy with this. I think it looks really beautiful. The illustrations are great. And it feels like a kind of a hug in Little White Lies form. So... I, uh, yeah, it's on shelves now. It'll be out for quite a while. So uh, you can either go out and pick up your copy or you can get one from the online shop, whatever is easiest for you. And yeah, I hope, I hope people enjoy it. If you could be a third wheel for any filmmaker couple's date night, it would be Barry and Lulu Wang, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, or if we're talking actors as well, then Mary, uh, uh, maybe um, Ted Danson and Mary Steenbergen. Oh, okay. Um, so that's for the next food and film special. Yeah, You're going to well, have to call that one. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So the new issue is available wherever you get your magazines now. Hannah, it's been such a pleasure catching up with you and talking about new films for the first time in ages. Yeah, it's been lovely. I hope um, hope there's more on the way. I'm, I'm very, very nervous about kind of cinemas reopening and everything, but I, I am also at the same time dying to kind of get back. So fingers crossed we can keep the keep the virus down and uh, mm-hmm. everyone will be uh, back in cinemas before we know it terrific thank you for chatting with me today and listeners thank you for listening i'm michael leader and as always this has been a seven digital production planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.